Welcome to the Strangeology Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Boren. From cryptozoology, ufology, and the paranormal, to legends, forbidden history, and more, listen in and explore the world of the weird and unexplained. Join me as I look into strange and fascinating tales and unearth the truths and theories behind some of the world's greatest mysteries. Be sure to head on over to our HQ, strangeology.com, where you can check out our blog, episodes archive, gift shop, sign up to our email list, and so much more. For daily updates, trivia, shenanigans, and the occasional giveaway, follow us on social media over Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And now, on to this week's episode. Hey, and welcome back to the Strangeology Podcast. I got on a roll with the first two episodes the other week, and I was hoping to keep that energy going and get this episode out last week, but my job was a little little nuts, and uh, you know the world kind of went to hell last week with everything going on, and so that didn't happen. Um, but you know the the biweekly episode format is kind of nice. I'm, I'm hoping I can maybe do things weekly. I've got a lot of free time coming up right now until, until something pans out for my next job now. And, uh, things are pretty, pretty wild in the world at the moment. So I hope that wherever you are out there, you're, you're staying safe and you're prepared and, you know, everything will, hopefully work out in the end, <laughs> but you know, we're living through some, some pretty unprecedented times in history right now. So hopefully things will turn out all right. I want to give a quick thanks to everyone who's listened to the podcast so far. Uh, those of you who have offered support and feedback, all that good stuff. I think my next episode I'll be taking a bunch of the listener stories that I received after putting out a call in my last episode um, and putting that uh, in for the next installment of my podcast. <laughs> uh, so if you do have your own story and you're looking to get something in before then, please get it uh, over to my email or shoot me uh, a DM on Instagram and if you didn't know, my my email is strangeologist at gmail.com, uh, S-T-R-A-N-G-E-O-L-O-G-I-S-T at gmail.com. All right. So this week's episode, we'll be exploring the legendary cryptozoological weirdness that is the Snallygaster, a fearsome beast that makes the mid-Atlantic United States, and more specifically, Maryland, its home. But first up, I always love a weird news segment on shows like these, and I feel like I never hear them anymore, uh, probably with good reason. Uh, but uh, I want to give this a shot, and I did a little digging to see what's weird out in the world right now. So our first story here is uh, that the UFO and alien enthusiast world 
is quite a buzz right now. With the recent COVID-19 relief bill, which was signed back in the end of December of 2020, there was apparently a clause within it that started a 180-day countdown clock for the Pentagon and different intelligence agencies within the U.S. to disclose what they know about the UFO phenomenon. Uh, So as it turns out, this wasn't actually... In the 5,000-plus page bill, but it was a, quote, committee comment attached to the Annual Intelligence Authorization Act, and then it got rolled into the bill. So the report from the Pentagon and like agencies are supposed to address observed airborne objects that haven't been identified. And as of recording this episode... The countdown is now, I think, in the 160s of days. So we will see what happens by the early summer of this year. It's pretty exciting to think that we might get some kind of further disclosure beyond what we got a few years back in 2017 with the Tic Tac and Go Fast uh, videos that were officially declassified and released to the public. Uh, via that New York Times article, but you know I'm I'm a little skeptical of how much legitimate information we'll get, if anything, knowing the track record of uh, any kind of disclosure from the government about the UFO phenomenon. Uh, and just the other day, apparently the the CIA dumped a massive amount of documents, I guess around. Uh, just under 3,000 pages worth. Uh, I think it was like 2,700 or so. Uh, and all of that is up on the website, The Black Vault. If anyone uh, has gone through and sifted through all the information, uh, I guess, you know, researchers are going to have to be careful in dissecting the information. And from what I've heard so far, that a lot of these reports that were dumped are from Russian tabloids. So it's really kind of hard to, you know, there's so much disinformation out there. It's you really need to do your homework and and make sure what you're reading is is uh, actually legitimate. So if anyone out there has gone through any of these and any of these, you know, documents and there is something in there that's legitimate i'd i'd love to to hear about it so get in touch if you have any any uh really awesome stories that you found in there in the cryptozoology world cryptid news apparently there has been a wolf-like creature that was stalking livestock in montana recently And authorities don't have any idea what this thing is. Its body was found, but analysis of its anatomy only led to more questions as to what this beast might be. And until uh, DNA tests come back with results, the answer is going to largely remain unclear. But in the meantime, taxonomists and fellow cryptid enthusiasts alike along with other uh, people with theories, have put forth some ideas. Uh, One theory 
that is making the rounds is that it was a Bigfoot since it the creature was alleged to be large and unexplained, although the reports do say that it had paws, uh, but they were smaller than that of a wolf and also had long claws and big ears. So, like, clearly it's something of the canine variety and not a relic hominid. Um, and another theory along with that is that it could be a dog man, but likely more, uh, you know, Occam's razor is going to go with the, you know, the simplest explanation is probably more like a, uh, a wolf dog hybrid, maybe like a koi dog or something like that, that we have up in, um, in the Northeast. All right, so that's the uh, the news segment for this episode, and now we're going to get on with the Snallygaster. So today we're covering the Snallygaster. This cryptid is one that I actually hadn't even heard of until last year. You know, I grew up learning all about Bigfoot and Nessie and Mothman and, you know, the big, the big ones, Chupacabra. (laughs) And uh, there's so much out there and it's, it's really amazing how many cryptids there, there are and how rich of a world of like legends there are that surrounds everything in this, in this community, in this world. So, as far as the Snallygaster, from my research, some or really many people and researchers have likened this cryptid to being somewhat like a dragon. But as I looked more into the topic, there's definitely a stark contrast between the Snallygaster and your classic European dragon or even Eastern dragons from China. The origins of the Snallygaster can be traced back to old German. The origins of the Snallygaster can be traced back to old German superstitions that immigrants brought over to America as far back as the 1730s, when German immigrants began settling the Blue Ridge Mountains area, which is near Frederick County. Uh, Fe- <clears throat> The origins of the Snallygaster can be traced back to old German superstitions that immigrants brought over to America as far back as the 1730s. This is when German immigrants began settling the Blue Ridge Mountains area, which is near Frederick County in central Maryland. Incidentally, this is also when the first accounts of this skybound terror started appearing in local newspapers of the time. One of the first reports of the Snallygaster apparently came from a man who ran a brick-burning kiln near Cumberland, Maryland. According to this witness, the beast was found asleep and cooling its wings over the outlet of the kiln. Now, what that means, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, Perhaps the... wind current coming from this exhaust kind of had a cool air to it, but I would imagine it would be kind of hot. So there's some implications there, which is kind of interesting. 
Now, when this man approached and disturbed the beast's sleep, it made this blood-curdling screech and angrily flew away. Now, allegedly, this terrifying creature was said to live in the hills surrounding Frederick and Washington counties in Maryland at the time. Now, this part of America was still uh, very much a wilderness, so the possibilities could have been endless for what was lurking out there. Now, as time went on, reports seemed to share some commonalities, and it became known that this beast would frequently terrorize nearby townships, and its targets were set on picking off anything from pets to livestock and even children. Fun little factoid, the word Snallygaster is actually a mispronunciation of the German word Schnellegeister. I probably butchered that. (laughs) This word is uh, itself also comes from the term Schnellergeist, which in German translates to quick ghost or quick spirit. Tales of these tales of these winged cryptids, and yes, there was reportedly a population of them, not just one, uh, told of them swooping down silently from the sky and picking picking off their tales of these winged cryptids, and yes, there was reportedly a population of them. It wasn't just one beast told of them swooping down silently from the sky and picking off their victims with ease. Some of the earliest accounts also claimed that Snallygasters were actually vampire-like and that they would exsanguinate or suck the blood of their prey. One man in particular by the name of Bill Gifferson reportedly was killed by the beast who pierced his neck with its sharp bill and drained his body of blood pretty brutal (laughs) and in the old country the germans were known okay one interesting piece of information that i found while researching the snallygaster was that in the old country back in germany the germans were known to paint hexes on their barns to protect themselves and ward off evil spirits and this tradition actually continued well after German peoples immigrated to America and settled into the early Pennsylvania and Maryland colonies. If you've ever seen a barn that has a metal star on it, it seems that this might be uh, a vestigial remnant of that tradition. Interestingly, it wasn't until the 1930s and 40s that painting stars on buildings was actually replaced with ornamental pieces that you could buy or make. And as it turns out, different types of stars and colors have different meanings. And it's funny, in doing research for this episode, I've never really noticed how many barns and buildings around where I live have stars on them. And I have to wonder if there's some kind of connection. I'm not sure if, if people still hold on to those traditions up, up in like new England, but 
it's it was kind of an interesting little synchronicity that you know I'm I'm reading about this interesting history and then all of a sudden I'm noticing these stars everywhere. <laughs> but I digress. Um, now as far as using these hexes with a Snallygaster goes, superstitious locals in an effort to keep the creature at bay believed that a heptagram or a seven-pointed star in particular uh, that was painted on barns, homes, and churches would protect their families and their livelihoods from this creature. Today, you're occasionally able to still see evidence of these stars on old barns that still stand three to 400 years later from the first sightings of it in the early 1700s. So what did a Snallygaster look like? Eyewitnesses who claimed to have encountered one of these beasts described it as being dragon-like, but its descriptions make it sound a lot more like a, a general chimera. The best description that people would give is that it looked like a half-bird, half-reptile with huge wings. A snallygaster would typically have a large beak, which is sometimes described as metallic, that was full of razor-sharp teeth. You know, the things that make your nightmares. <laughs> Additionally, it had steel hook-like claws and one eye centered on its head. It also had a 20-foot tail, and in some instances, it also was said to have octopus or squid-like tentacles, either coming from its mouth or kind of like on the side of its body. Beyond its penchant for human blood, witnesses also described its horrifying shriek, likening, likening it to be as loud as a train whistle, and it also had a putrid sulfuric stench. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was encountering something like that back then, I'd probably be trying to get out of the area as fast as I could uh, for fear of being 86. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd probably be trying to move out of the area ASAP for fear of being 86 by this flying octo dragon. If not for the fact that this thing was trying to kill anything in its path, it was probably also stinking up towns left and right. <laughs> now, as far as where these creatures lived, some stories told that they lived high up on cliffs and other accounts told of them dwelling in caves, which there's kind of an interesting connection there with a different cryptid known as the Van Meter Visitor. So maybe we'll talk about that some other time. Allegedly, one story that came from a group of lumberjacks claimed that they came across a Snallygaster nest situated high up on a cliff. The nest apparently contained an egg that was, quote, big enough to hatch a horse. Other stories claim that a Snallygaster egg was found near Sharpsburg, West Virginia, and some men rigged up an incubator to try and hatch it. Take from that what you will. Some have tried to connect the Snallygaster to Thunderbirds. All right, let's go. All right, so the Snallygaster. Is this a real creature 
or is it simply a hoax? Some have tried to connect the Snallygaster to Thunderbirds, which is an interesting thought, um, and I've actually done some research on Thunderbirds in the past for the Strangeology blog, and there are interesting similarities between the stories of the Snallygaster and Native American stories of the Thunderbird. Like, both creatures seem to have the ability and habit of raining terror from above, but I don't necessarily think they're the same creature. There's also thoughts that the Piazza bird could be related in some way to the Snallygaster. According to Algonquin legend, Thunderbirds are typically deity-type creatures and protectors and bringers of life and rain, but on the flip side, they're also harsh enforcers of morality and will only typically cause harm to humans as a form of punishment for breaking some kind of moral code. Um, whereas the Snallygaster seems to just be an animal looking to wreak havoc and eat people and suck their blood. So I think there's some kind of dis disconnect there for sure. Now, another interesting comparison I'll draw is that in Maryland, where most of the Snallygaster sightings have happened, is awfully close to New Jersey. In fact, it borders it. And, you know, it's not too far from there is the Pine Barrens. And you know who comes from the Pine Barrens back in the 1730s when the Snallygaster first appeared in America. That's right, my boy, JD, none other than the Jersey Devil. Now, descriptions um, of the Jersey Devil's appearance, its size and demeanor and abilities and personality are quite different from a Snallygaster's descriptions, uh, but it's interesting that the tales of the Snallygaster and the Jersey Devil incidentally started happening around the same time and in the same area of America. Maybe it's just coincidence, but it might need a little bit more research, but there could very well be some kind of connection between these, these two flying cryptids. Now, interestingly, during the 1909 spat of Jersey Devil sightings, early newspaper articles and reports were saying that it was a Snallygaster, not the Jersey Devil that was being sighted, um, which these sightings ranged from New Jersey to, uh, to Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Maryland, even as far away as Ohio, and there were hundreds of them in this short period of time. Um, in February of that year, the Cumberland Evening Times made the first report of the creature in Middletown, New Jersey. The story was featured for the following month in Middletown's Valley Register, which was a weekly newspaper as well. And as it turns out, the story was actually a hoax uh, that was put together by the editor at the time, uh, George Roderick, and a reporter by the name of Ralph Wolfe with the goal of boosting circulation and sales. Seems to be kind of a common theme for a lot of a lot of these old newspaper stories of the time. Now they it turns out they had borrowed themes from German folklore about the Snallygaster and earlier stories of the Jersey Devil to concoct their article. And interestingly, 
rumor had it that this story caught the attention of then United States President Teddy Roosevelt, who allegedly considered postponing an international trip to hunt the beast himself. Teddy Roosevelt was an avid outdoorsman and hunter, and so that kind of made sense, right? (laughs) Um, And it turns out that word of the Snallygaster even got as far as the Smithsonian, who even offered a $100,000 reward for the capture of the creature. Stories of the Snallygaster didn't end with that article, however. The last reported sighting for some time in Frederick County, Maryland, occurred in March 1909, where three men allegedly found and battled with a Snallygaster for an hour and a half and ultimately chased it away into the woods of Carroll County. If this creature was so fearsome, though, I kind of want to know what they were battling with. If something is so menacing and that swoops silently silently down from the skies and just snatches people up. <laughs> it's like, were they using uh, like sticks or, or what? I don't know. That's really all the information there was on that little, little tidbit of information. Um, so apparently after that, the Snallygaster had disappeared for quite some time. However, 23 years later, in the fall of 1932, the Snallygaster returned to Maryland once more. Some believe that this Snallygaster may have actually been the offspring of the 1909 one, since there were were actually reports of eggs being found back in 1909. Now, why does that remind me of the Matthew Broderick version of Godzilla from the late 90s. <laughs> now, now, according to an article by the Evening Sun in Baltimore, two witnesses, Charles Maine and Edward Leiter, actually witnessed the Snallygaster. They were, quote, frightened nearly out of their wits when the beast suddenly appeared flying over the National Highway towards Catoctin Mountain, near the old White House, just east of Braddock Heights. Charles Maine stated that the creature changed colors several times, from white to black, and was flying only 25 feet above the ground. It also had a 14-foot wingspan and would throw out, quote, long streamers like the arms of an octopus, but would then draw them in again. The two men eventually tried to follow where the beast was headed, but ultimately found no trace of it once they gathered enough courage to follow it to get answers. Other witnesses claimed to have spotted the creature near South Mountain in Washington County, Maryland, and reports stated that whatever was being sighted was as large as a dirigible, or a zeppelin, with arms resembling tentacles much like that of an octopus. It was also recorded to be able to change its size, shape, and color at will. Now, this is uh, interesting because none of the earlier reports and stories seemed to include these details, minus the, uh, the tentacle appendages. Now, could the Snallygaster be something more like a a rare airborne cephalopod type creature that lives somewhere high up in the atmosphere that we just haven't discovered yet. Or, you know, octopus and squid are known to be very intelligent, 
And they're actually able to change their colors at will, much like this description. And they also have the ability to kind of squish and morph their bodies into different shapes to make it through an obstacle or to disguise their appearance to their prey. Uh, The other interesting thing about this description is it also reminds me a lot of some UFO sightings and um, documents that I've, I've read about where a UFO is reported to be morphing into different shapes and colors. Now, maybe there's some kind of possible UFO connection to the Snallygaster, uh, making it a, some kind of otherworldly being. I, I, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> it's certainly an interesting thought. Now, another report around this time in the 1930s claimed that the creature had been shot and put into captivity by a man named Harry Wachtel. Wachtel or Wachtel? I don't know. I butchered it. (laughs) And I guess he had clipped the creature's wing with his rifle. The creature, however, just turned out to be an owl with a three-foot wingspan. And according to the article about that incident, naturalists and experienced outdoorsmen said that certainly seeing that that owl in the dead of night with its, quote, weird gray wings, end quote, <laughs> could be mistaken for a snallygaster. I think we have to uh, question the... the uh, <laughs> the abilities of these naturalists and the knowledge and abilities of these naturalists and experienced outdoorsmen <laughs> and how they identify creatures. Um, so there's also the possibility that reports of this creature are simply misidentifications. You know, that's a likely explanation, but who knows? There could very well still be some kind of strange chimera dragon-like beast hiding out in the world somewhere we just don't know and then there's also likely the possibility that stories of the snallygaster were passed down throughout generations as a way to instill fear into children like don't go outside at night little timmy or the snallygaster is gonna get you that kind of seems to be a common theme with many many old legends that, you know, have similar uh, motifs. (laughs) Now, in the end, it seems that the Snallygaster met its end in a way that Michael Bay might envy. According to this story, the Snallygaster was flying near Frog Hollow in Washington County when it caught the scent of a 2,500-gallon vat of moonshine. And it was apparently attracted to the smell and flew over. At the time, prohibition in America had not been lifted yet. This was in 1932, and I believe prohibition was lifted in 1933 with the 21st Amendment. Now, (laughs) the Snallygaster apparently became overwhelmed with the fumes and fell into the boiling mash, and it died. Now, whether or not this was the Snallygaster or just one of many, since it's 
certain reports and, and eyewitness accounts kind of make it sound like there was a population of them, but we just don't know for sure. Shortly after this particular Snallygaster fell in and died, uh, two Prohibition agents, George Dan- Danforth and Charles Kushwa, arrived after receiving a tip uh, about this illegal stills location and operation. They were surprised to find that some monstrous, monstrous creature's lifeless body was laying in the vat of moonshine. And what better way to, A, get rid of the monster, and B, get rid of the illegal <laughs> moonshine operation than to explode 500 pounds of dynamite under it, and thus destroying the remains of the Snallygaster and any kind of scientific study that one could conduct on such a creature at the time. <laughs> Some people um, later on have claimed to witness the Snallygaster or a similar creature again in 19. 19- 48 and in 1973. Uh, but since then the creature hasn't really been spotted and really the, the 1932 incidents were probably some of the most, uh, documented and reported on. Many believe that the stories of the Snallygaster are simply hoaxes to bring in new business and tourism to towns of the area maybe with the hope of seeing the Snallygaster for themselves. Regardless if the creature did exist or not, the perpetuation of its myth brought to life the old German legends of a fearsome flying beast and ushered it into the 20th and 21st centuries for enthusiasts like us to dig into and to also remember the old legends from long ago. And that just about wraps up this week's episode. Make sure to tune in next time for my special listener stories episode. Thank you again to everyone who submitted your stories. There's definitely some creepy ones in there, and I I can't wait to record that one and, and get that episode out. It's always really great reading other people's experiences and stories. And I think it's a, it's a definitely an important part of of the whole world of uh, Fortean research, if you will. (laughs) Big thanks to all my listeners and followers on social media. You all inspire me and make me want to keep going with this. So really without you, this wouldn't be possible. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to drop me a line at strangeologist at gmail.com. That's S-T-R-A-N-G-E. O-L-O-G-I-S-T at gmail.com I'm also looking to set up some interviews with other content creators in the cryptid, weird, whatever world community that we're in so if you're one of them and you want to come onto the show and have a little chat let's get in touch be sure to check out the Strangeology HQ website, strangeology.com I'm going to be featuring some guest writer articles coming up soon and if you'd like to read about 
cryptids and other weird things. It's a, it's a great place to go. I'm only getting started with it, so a lot of cool stuff to come in the future for that. Also, if you're looking for daily updates, make sure to give me a follow over on my Instagram. That's really my main social media account. Um, but also give me a follower, uh, follow <laughs> on Twitter and Facebook too. Also, if you're looking for some fun cryptid and 14 gear, I'd be super grateful if you checked out my shop as well. I've got a ton of different designs up there and more on the way for 2021. It helps out Strangeology a ton and keeps this train chugging along. All right, that uh, just about does it. So until next time, take care of yourselves and each other and keep it strange. Strange.